Podcast, a podcast about music, health, wellness, and activism that will help you to find balance between life as a musician and self-care through health and wellness. I'm your host, Jazzy Piggott, a tuba player, composer, certified personal trainer, writer, educator, and podcaster based in Baltimore, Maryland. In the next few episodes, I will be discussing habits. Last week in part one, I covered exactly what they are, why they're important, the seven categories of habits people try to change, and knowing yourself better through the four tendencies framework and other characterizations that will allow you to choose the best habit change strategies for you. In this week's episode, part two, I will be discussing several habit change strategies that will be sure to make you successful in whatever resolutions you may have. This episode and these next few episodes are based on the knowledge that I gained from Gretchen Rubin's book, Better Than Before. It was the first book I read of 2021, and it's about habit change and was transformative in the way I think about things. If you can, I would strongly encourage you to pick it up and read it. I think last week I mentioned the Libby app and how helpful that is, so use the Libby app if you can. Just to recap, habits are routines or behaviors repeated regularly and often subconsciously. There are both good habits and bad habits. A habit allows you to act without thinking so you do not use your finite stores of willpower with decision-making. About an average of 40% of your day consists of habits, and this is an average, so it can be definitely more and it can also be a little bit less. When you decide that you want to change a habit, it's very important that you come up with SMART goals for the habit change. SMART is the acronym, Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Realistic, and Time-Bound. I'll get back to this in a little bit, but in order to make sure you're successful in changing the goal, you need to have these markers in order to make it a realistic goal. If something's not specific, it will be too vague, you won't have any sort of way to measure it. If you can't measure it, you can't track your progress. If it's not actually attainable for you, it's not realistic, then you're never going to complete the goal. And then if it's not realistic, it's also not attainable. (laughs) And then if it's not time bound, you don't have a deadline in mind or any sort of time limit, you're probably never going to have an incentive to get the thing done. So specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time bound are necessary in order to make goals for habit change. So the best way to change a habit is making the unconscious conscious. So what you want to do is to identify the habit that you want to change and then spend a day making yourself aware of it. And then that leads me to the first habit change strategy. So these habit change strategies, these first four, are the four basic habit change strategies that you're probably going to be the most successful with. The others are kind of bonuses. So we're going to start with these four. The first of the four is called monitoring. Monitoring brings self-awareness to an activity which strengthens our self-control. When you start to monitor an activity, you start to become aware of how much or how little you're doing the activity. So then you are able to change how much or how little you do the activity because now you know what you're actually doing. Oftentimes, people guess wrong about how much they're doing when they don't monitor it. 
This happens most often when people overestimate how much they exercise and then underestimate how much they eat. And because of that, that results in weight gain because calories in, calories out. If you're overestimating how much energy you're spending throughout the day, then you're going and you're underestimating how many calories you're consuming, you're going to probably not be in a deficit like you intended. Simply monitoring and bringing awareness is often enough to inspire habit change without any effort. Because once you are aware, you're aware, and you decide to make choices to change what you're aware of. Oftentimes, people who keep track of their spending or their eating naturally spend or eat less without deliberately changing their habit of spending or eating, only just because they can see the consequences of their actions. And then in order to monitor, you must have specific and measurable goals. So the importance of SMART goals that I mentioned before, specific and measurable. If they're not specific or measurable, it will be impossible to decide what you're measuring in order to measure the behavior or monitor, sorry, monitor the behavior. So when you're getting started with monitoring, Begin by keeping track of how often you do a habit and then establish a goal for your monitoring. So this would be tracking your practicing hours to see how much you're actually practicing and then aiming to practice a certain amount. I do this using the Tonal Energy app because it has a timer. So I've been tracking my practice and I make sure I keep it open every time I pick up the instrument just to accurately track how long it I am on the, the app. The unfortunate part about that app, though, is that when you leave the app, it stops the timer. So if I want to watch a YouTube video while I'm still technically practicing, I can't really do that at the same time as looking at my music on my tablet. So one downside, but yes, uh, find a way to monitor what you are doing currently and then change it. If your goal is to be healthier, the smart goal would be to probably eat less and exercise more. You would then track your current activity levels and document everything you ate to see where you currently are. After getting a baseline, you would then set a new goal, such as increase to 10,000 steps a day or reduce your consumption of calories to 1,800. So this turns your vague goal of getting healthier into a SMART goal. So come up with your original goal, figure out what it is that you specifically want to do, find a way to make that measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. The one caveat towards monitoring as a strategy is that it takes time and effort. It's really, really good for upholders and questioners in the four tendencies, as I mentioned last week. If you didn't listen to that episode to find your tendency or take the quiz at quiz.gretchenrubin.com, go and do that now so you can benefit the most from these episodes. Anyways, so yes, monitoring is great for upholders and questioners. Upholders just like to keep track of things and they don't want to break the chain that they have if they have a streak of doing something like my 960 day streak on my fitness pal. And then questioners, if they're monitoring, they'll probably find a reason to do it and then have that intrinsic motivation. Obligers might struggle with accountability if nobody's checking on them in their monitoring. So if you're an obliger and you want to start monitoring, have somebody you know come in to check on your monitoring. I know my mom, who is an obliger, has been trying to track her calories, but she can't get herself to because she has nobody making sure she's doing it, even when I do, because 
I'm too close to her to be a true accountability source because for obligers, there are some people like children, spouses who are considered too close, that they're an extension of you. So their accountability doesn't really affect you as much as it should. And then rebels can and will only do this habit of monitoring if they want to. So if you're a rebel and you want to monitor, then monitor. But no one's making you monitor. You're not making yourself monitor. Just do it if you want to. And then the final thing on monitoring as far as the downsides of it are that it's also very, very easy to selectively monitor. And you must be very honest with yourself. I know I tend to not monitor the cereal I eat because I don't like to come to terms with how much cereal I am eating. But not monitoring that is setting me back because I'm not being honest with myself and what I'm doing, and then I'm not making my habit visible in order to make a change for it. So be very, very honest in what you do. Take the time and the effort to actually track the habit that you're trying to change. The next strategy is to solidify your foundation habits. The four foundation habits are sleep, movement, proper nutrition, and cleanliness. Getting these four habits together makes it easier to change your other habits because you have a foundation. So sleep. Episode 7 was all about sleep. Getting 7 to 9 hours of sleep per night, but no less than 6, will make you rested enough to foster good habits. Sleep-deprived people are too tired to accomplish tasks and are more likely to overeat. Prioritize your bedtime to make sure you hit the minimum. Movement. This was talked about in episodes 4 and 5. Exercise has a number of benefits, including relief of anxiety, boosted mood and energy, improved memory, and sharpened executive function. People who exercise are also more likely to maintain healthy habits for sleep and nutrition with a greater command of willpower. You don't have to go to the gym or pick up running to get movement in your day. Simply walking is a very effective form of exercise. You can split it up throughout the day, three 10-minute walks, to make it a bit more manageable. And when determining your exercise regimen, ask questions about who you are, like I mentioned in Part 1, Episode 25. An owl won't want to exercise in the morning. An underbuyer won't want to spend money on exercise equipment or a gym membership. So figure out where you are and how you can make movement happen in your day. Nutrition. I talked about nutrition in episode 13. So this actually includes eating and drinking well. Make sure to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. Getting too hungry can make you hangry, which results in being too tired or irritable to function. Then eat primarily whole, minimally processed foods to avoid overeating and provide your body with the most nutrients. Limit your alcohol intake and then monitor it if it's an issue for you. Make sure you also drink enough water to stay hydrated to prevent fatigue, brain fog, and needless snacking. What I do is I keep a water bottle with a specific set of ounces and I track my water on a water intake app. It's called Water Llama. They have cute little characters, and then you fill them up throughout the day with the water you drink. Anyways, so my water bottle is 24 ounces, so I know that in order to be completely hydrated for the day, I need to get a minimum of three of those. And then the fourth foundation habit is cleanliness. Now, I don't necessarily agree with this just because I'm not a very clean person, but hear me out. 
Oftentimes, your outer order contributes to your inner calm. Ensuring your space is clean and your bed is made can provide you enough clarity to make decisions, even though it's psychological. Gretchen Rubin uses the example of the broken windows theory. Messes are kind of like the broken windows theory. The broken windows theory is that neighborhoods that have and tolerate little crimes like breaking windows make people more likely to commit serious crimes. Having a made bed is correlated with a greater sense of well-being and productivity. It'll also make going to bed less daunting. So if your room is clean, your space is clean, your desk is organized, you'll be able to see the bigger issues before they become an issue. So yes, it's primarily psychological, but it does have an effect to consider. Habit change strategy three, scheduling. Episode nine was all about the power of scheduling. So please go and listen to that episode because I talk about this in a lot more depth and how to make your own schedule from basically scratch. So that is episode nine. Scheduling new activities and desired habits make them more likely to become habits as habits grow when they're repeated in predictable ways. Think of going to class. It just becomes a habit after the first few weeks of your class. You just automatically go to class at 11 because you have a class at 11. It's not something you have to actively think about doing. Scheduling can also make you less likely to act on a bad habit. If your habit is social media scrolling, having every hour of the day scheduled to be doing something in the day removes the room for you to end up on social media scrolling away. If you know that you should be studying at a certain time and you end up on Facebook, you know you're not doing the right thing. So having every hour of the day planned out leaves you minimal time to encourage your bad habits. This also can go for snacking. I know if I don't have anything on my calendar, I can spend like an hour just eating snacks in the kitchen for some reason. So when I have something to do and I know I only have 20 minutes to eat, I make sure I eat for those 20 minutes and then I am out of the kitchen doing the next activity. And this stops me from staying there. For my procrastinators out there, scheduling can also reduce procrastination because you can schedule a little bit of the activity each day. I also mentioned this in my scheduling episode, the idea that if you're a procrastinator and you schedule up the activity every day and you make sure you sit at the computer, at least staring at it for the hour then you get the habit together because eventually you're going to be done with wasting an hour just staring at a blank computer screen. You're going to want to put some words down on that paper. So for procrastinators, scheduling can be the end of procrastination. I need to stop procrastinating on actually doing this because I do keep procrastinating on that. Even though I say, yes, I schedule everything, there are times when I ignore my schedule or I put off scheduling the activity that I should be doing every day because I can, you know, why not? I can do it later. So yes, procrastinators, this is you. Schedule. In the four tendencies, scheduling works best for upholders because upholders are bound. They just love schedules. It's something that you feel bound to. You created it. So you have that internal motivation and it's something external that's kind of telling you it. It may work for questioners if they can see the benefit of the schedule. If you can't see the benefit, you're not going to make it work for you, so don't bother. 
For obligers, obligers can actually feel that the schedule is enough to hold them accountable, so it may be effective in that way. And then rebels, however, may rebel against seeing something scheduled because they only want to do the things that they want to do. So if you're a rebel, don't necessarily schedule things because otherwise you might feel some sort of sense of obligation. And one of the best ways to get started with scheduling to make it effective for habit change is to schedule new habits along with an existing habit. So that would be, for example, walking 10 minutes after every meal, or maybe doing yoga right after you brush your teeth. This creates a habit cue stronger than just looking at the clock and deciding it's time to do something, because technically, time is a social construct. I mean, the passing of time is not a social construct, but I think we mentioned it in the early episodes. Physical times are a construct. So if you are lining yourself to the clock, which isn't really a construct, and you're a questioner, for instance, and you don't understand the point of it, pairing yourself to another activity that you do at a certain time of the day, not necessarily the exact same time of the day, but that will get you to be consistent in the new habit. Another thing to ensure your schedule is appropriate for habit change is to make sure that you schedule your new habits daily. What you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. When you're first getting a habit done, it's very, very important to try to do that every day to make sure you establish the habit. I know in, okay, the last two days, I started that this week. So I I decided to get my yoga habit back because I was kind of like, hmm, maybe I'll feel a little bit less stressed if I get the yoga habit back. So I decided to start doing yoga in the morning right after I brush my teeth. And I was very tempted today, even though it's only day two, to skip the yoga session so I could record this podcast. But I'm like, no, I need to set the consistency, even if it's just 10 minutes. So I did 10 minutes of yoga and then now I'm here recording this. But I know it's very important to keep the habit daily so that I can make sure it becomes a habit rather than just something I did for a few days and forgot about. And the final tip for scheduling that I didn't mention in episode 9 is that scheduling strong and important habits in the morning can give you a solid foundation for the rest of the day. Often, or for most people, you have the most willpower in the morning and you're unlikely to stray away from those habits. So that is why a lot of people do best, even if they're not really morning people, by exercising in the morning. Because at the beginning of the day, you haven't exhausted your stores of willpower. You know you have to exercise, so you go and do it. Then you have the rest of the day to look forward to, where you don't have to think about the exercise you did or didn't accomplish. So if you are really liking the idea of the habit scheduling process, then go check out episode nine on how to make a proper schedule and why it's important. So that is episode nine. It's a pretty good episode. I would say so myself. So yes, go check it out. Then habit change strategy number four in the big four effective habit change strategies is accountability. Accountability almost always needs to be applied to make, break, or keep a habit. Accountability means that there is some consequence for our action or lack thereof. This can be through other people, deadlines, attendance, late fees, grades, whatever you can think of. 
Accountability is necessary for obligers. So that is why personal trainers or accountability buddies could be essential for those who struggle with exercise and nutrition. One of the biggest ways of finding accountability is to simply go public about something. Often the public eye and fear of disappointing others is enough to make people get things done. But this does not work for everybody. I know in previous weight loss journeys, I had announced, okay, I'm going on this diet. I'm going to lose all the weight. Everything's great. And then I didn't do it. So for me, sometimes the public eye works because like things like my project revolution, where I know a ton of people are waiting for me to do this album. And that's the only thing motivating me at this point, then accountability is helpful in that way. But for things like weight loss or appearance changes, I really don't care how people feel about me as far as my appearance. So other people's opinions on what I do doesn't really affect me. But for some people, that public declaration of I'm going to lose weight and I'm doing this thing is very effective for them. So if that's you, then make a public statement on social media. Okay, today I'm going to start being a runner. I'm training for this marathon. I'm going to run in February. So yes, find a way to make it public if that benefits you. Another way of accountability is the accountability group. Accountability groups can be more effective than accountability partners or buddies because that means that it's not just one person pulling their weight. So when it's an accountability partner or buddy, if that partner or buddy is not a good person who actually wants to keep you accountable and they're very lazy and they're like, oh, I don't feel like going to the gym today, then you're most likely going to slip if you're an obliger especially because you're not going to have the internal drive to get you to go to the gym without that buddy. So you need somebody who will be there all the time. The benefits of a group are that you have multiple people. So one person in the group not going isn't going to make it that the group can't function. So you have other people in the group to also hold you accountable. While I mentioned obligers specifically, all four tendencies can benefit from accountability. Rebels a benefit because they want to be seen as a person who does X, Y, or Z. Questioners benefit because having a deadline might spike their level of accountability because now they have a reason to get something done. And then upholders are just kind of self-explanatory. If you have something to do at a certain time or schedule or whatever, you're going to do it. So those four habit change strategies are the most impactful habit change strategies. But here are several more strategies. These have to do with timing. So the first strategy for timing is the first step strategy, because the first step is often the hardest part. The best time to begin is now. As they always say, I don't know where this came from, but the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time to plant the tree is now. Do not postpone starting and then start small. Often starting is harder than continuing. Once you get the train going, it is not that hard to keep the train going. You know, inertia. But it is hard once you stop the train and you have to start the train again. So in episode one, I talked about the small steps or large steps. You need to figure out whether you prefer small steps or large steps. 
To start a practicing habit, small steps would be like starting with playing 10 minutes a day and then gradually increasing like by five minutes every day. A big step would mean jumping onto a daily, hour-long fundamental routine. For exercise, training to run a mile versus starting a whole training plan for a marathon when you first start running. So figure out if you need those small steps to begin or if you would prefer to just take a big step and just jump right into it. If you struggle with making these first steps, coming up with a transition can make that a bit easier. An example is having a bedtime routine, which is a transition to ease from the wake to sleep period. So having a bedtime routine, dimming the lights, turning off your phone and your electronics is a transition from being awake and energized to taking that first step into getting into your bed and getting settled to close your eyes and just finally get to sleep at the end of the day. So come up with some sort of transition in order to ease your way into habits. And almost like I just mentioned, once you start, try your best to not stop, as stopping means you have to start all over again. Like I said, continuing is harder than starting, but then after you stop, you have to start all over again. The habit is broken once you stop, and it brings back the need for willpower and decision-making. So you do not want to stop and then bring back that need. However, if you must stop because of an unavoidable stop, like a family vacation, interrupting your gym routine or something, then you must make sure you have a solid date plan to resume the habit when the stop is passed so you do not actually stop. So let's say... You're going on a vacation to the Bahamas for like three weeks in the summer. So you know you can't bring your tuba with you on this Bahamas trip. So you have to leave your tuba behind. So rather than say, okay, I'm done practicing for now. I'll come back to it at some point later. Say, okay, my vacation is June 1st through June 21st. So on June 22nd, I'm going to pick up my tuba and start playing again. So having that date in mind for when you're continuing makes it so it's not a stop, rather it's a pause. You're going to come back to it because you know you're going to keep going. In her book, Gretchen Rubin uses an example of a yoga instructor who people over the summer wanted to stop yoga because it was the summer. So rather than tell them to stop yoga, he just put their accounts on pause and said, I will see you back in September when the summer is over. So this prevents stopping and makes you want to be continuous. And the final thing as far as first steps and stopping and starting is that there is no finish line to most habits. If a habit is very important for you to cultivate and you want to make it last a long time, you can't have a finish line. If you want to become a runner, you can't just become a runner just to run a marathon and then be done after the first marathon you run because then you're going to stop running. You have no more motivation. So you need to become a runner and then enjoy the continuity of it all. Enjoy the consistency of keeping up running every other day. Yes, there's the finish line of doing a race because doing a race is fun, but it can't be the end of that habit just because you finished the thing you wanted to accomplish. So find something that keeps you going. It's about the journey, not the destination. I mentioned that in my Growth Mindset episodes, episode 20 and 21. So go check those out. The next timing strategy for habit change is called the clean slate. 
So a clean slate strategy is taking advantage of a significant life change event or date to change your habits. The most common clean slates are the new year, birthdays, relationship milestones, such as starting a new relationship or breaking up, getting married, engaged, divorced, whatever, moving, starting at a new job or a new school, or even negative changes such as deaths. But these are clean slates. They are opportunities to jumpstart your habits. It enables us to begin new habits with less effort because something really, really affected the status quo so you have motivation to change the way things are. So an example of this is using a move to a new area to start a walking habit. So you would start each day of your move with a walk to explore the new neighborhood, and then because you started your new experience in this area like that, you have a cue that sits there of being in this new area and you want to walk. So it makes the habit more likely to follow. For me, I used a breakup to restart my weightlifting habit back in November, and then I used my graduation from undergrad to start the habits that led me to my weight loss. I also used the new year this past weekend in order to start my yoga habit again, hopefully. So yes, use the clean slate because it has a tremendous power of making habit change effective because you're not thinking that you're somewhere else. You can cut off the old habits that you used to have and just restart. However, you also need to be careful because a clean slate can also be used to erode existing habits because the cue that triggers the habit may no longer be present. Next episode, I'll talk more about the habit change and the habit cues. But an example of this was when I stopped weightlifting when I moved to Baltimore and was in a different environment. Suddenly my weights, well, okay, they were still in my room. I just had no motivation to do them, even though they were still in my room and I was still seeing them. So yes, uh, pay attention to your clean slates. Make sure you have You maintain your good existing habits, you use the clean slate to stop your bad habits or to add new good habits. They don't happen really that often, so then make sure you monopolize on them when they do happen. So right now it's the new year, so take advantage of that because after next week it's not really the new year season anymore. So today is going to be January 6th, so... Today, January 6th, you're going to start that new habit that you wanted to start. You're going to start it today. You're not going to start it tomorrow. You're not going to say tomorrow's a better day. You're not going to start it on Monday. You're going to start it today because first steps. And yes, it's the new year. So it's 2022. It's a whole new year. It's a whole new you. So use the clean slate to do something. And the final habit change strategy in timing is the lightning bolt. So this means using a lightning bolt moment to inspire habit change. Usually a lightning bolt is a huge change in ideas surrounding some sort of incident or idea. Now, nothing necessarily prompts the changes like there is a change in a clean slate. It just kind of happens. It usually starts with a huge step. So... Like one example of this is just one day you realize, why the heck am I smoking? So you just drop all your cigarettes and you're done smoking. It doesn't happen very often. It happens even less often than a clean slate happens. But when it happens, it happens. It's very powerful. 
Lightning bolts enable you to immediately become engrossed in a new habit without the starting phases. You can suddenly do something. It's not like you're starting at the beginning. For me, I used the lightning bolt strategy when I started my weight loss. When I was watching my 600-pound life one day, I had the epiphany like, oh my god, if I keep going like this, this could be me one day. And then I just threw out my junk food right then and there and was on the path to being a healthier individual. Overnight, basically, I was just so terrified of the health consequences of being overweight that I was able to just jumpstart this new habit change. And here I am now, two years, two and a half years later, just being okay. And then one of the most common ones is pregnancy and drinking or smoking, because usually when women get pregnant and they're a drinker or a smoker, suddenly they're going to stop. Hopefully they're going to stop for the future of their child. And it's a lightning bolt enough to make you change that idea. So you can't really make a lightning bolt happen. They just kind of happen. And if you notice a lightning bolt happening, like you have this huge epiphany and you have the opportunity to change a habit for the better, then really, really, really take advantage of that because they're very strong. Like, I don't think that my habits for weight loss and proper eating would have been really good if I didn't have that lightning bolt moment. Because then after I hit the goal, I probably would have been like, well, I hit the finish line, so I'm done. Rather than knowing, yeah, you still have the potential to go back to the my 600 pound life people. So, yes, be aware. All right, so that is it for this week's habit change strategies. I have several more that I will be discussing next week, so please stay tuned. Next week, I will be talking about different strategies that involve minimizing effort to follow habits and then also relating to other people. Between now and then, think about which of these habit change strategies may be effective for you and then try to give them a shot in the next week. The ones that I talk about next week are a bit more specific and personalized, so you can take advantage of those then. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to me. My email is pigotjasmine at gmail.com, and you can find me on social media, like will be covered in the outro. I will always respond to you. I really appreciate when people reach out to me because I really don't know who any of you are, except for the three people I know who tell me they listen. So yes, it would be really nice to know who you are. Anyways, yeah, so with that, I'm going to move on to Roses, Buds, and Thorns. Roses, Buds, and Thorns is a segment I do on the show to cultivate a level of authenticity and gratitude. A rose is something that went well, a bud is something you're looking forward to, and a thorn is something that didn't go too great. I like to do this because it lets you know that, hey, I'm not perfect, and then even if I'm depressed, there is still something I'm looking forward to in my life and something I'm grateful for. This week, my thorn, or I guess last week, my thorn is that my eating patterns were uh, a bit way off the mark. I was eating out basically every day because my partner was visiting, so I just wasn't really following it. And then we were also, we had really big breakfasts, and then we would have a late lunch, and then kind of, it was in that awkward phase, like around like three or four, where it's between lunch and dinner, and you don't know what to do, and then does it make sense to have a meal later? So then it was the big breakfast, that dinner type thing, and then I would have a ton of popcorn and brownies in the evening. 
So yeah, my my eating habits were really, really not not the best last week. So I'm getting them back on track now because it is the new year and I'm using the clean slate to start my cut or my new weight loss journey because I gained 10 pounds that I didn't want to gain. Um, so yeah, I'm getting my eating habits back on track. I'm moving on. It's fine. It happened. It is what it is. My rose for this week is that I am taking care of these episodes weeks in advance so I can take a little mental break. So, okay, this one I was supposed to do last week, but I didn't do it last week, but I'm doing next week's episode right after I finish this one. So I'm getting all these episodes done. I know I'm going to have the episode for the following week soon. So yes, I'm getting these done so I don't have to think about it because I have like a few little opportunities where I'm going to be traveling in the next few weeks and performing. So it'll be nice to not have to think about this and stress about this because I really spent hours drafting these episodes yesterday. Um, yeah, I put a lot of work into these. So you, I don't know if they come across that way because it's only like 40 minutes, but a lot goes into that, especially the solo episodes. So yeah, so I'm getting these episodes done. I have an interview coming up with Victoria Garcia Uh, That will be probably in the last week of January or the first week of February. And then I'm also interviewing Ashley Hall later today. And that will probably be in early February as well once this habit change series is over. So those are some interviews for you to look forward to in the next few weeks. So, yes, my rose is that I'm getting ahead on this podcast and I'm very happy. And then my bud, I'm on the health and wellness for musicians panel at the Bold Conference this weekend, Brass Out Loud. And I'm very excited because that means that people valued the health and wellness advice I have on this podcast enough to consider me for a panel about the topic. So I'm excited to do that and just get my name out there a little bit more, hopefully get more podcast listeners. So that'll be great. And that concludes the episode for this week. So I hope you enjoyed it. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts when you have the chance. Next week, please tune in to part three. There's going to be four parts, I promise. So part three is about more habit change strategies. Part four is about loopholes to habit change. So yeah, tune in next week. Uh, Let your family and friends know. Listen to part one if you haven't done that. All these great things. So I hope you have a wonderful week, especially with the new year and everything. I hope it's not too cold where you are. I know it's going to be cold where I am. So yes, have a great week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Harmony and Healing. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Harmony and Healing Podcast. And you can find me personally at The Jazzy Tubist on both Facebook and Instagram. And at my website, jasminepiggit.com. I'll see you next Thursday. Thank <laughs> you.